0: 12, Episode 9. Please proceed with caution. This podcast contains explicit material. Welcome to 12 with Sarah Sloan, a podcast series exploring the 12 different ways a woman is apparently able to orgasm. I want to empower women and those who adore them by exploring the female erotic. I'm on a quest to learn more about my sexual desires and improve my relationship with myself, my body and my partner of 10 years, referred to here as H. If you are new to 12, I recommend you start at the beginning of the series. And if you feel so inclined, please spread the word about 12, so other people can benefit from what is being shared here. This episode is dedicated to the cervical orgasm. The cervix is the entrance to the womb. It is referred to in Tantrism as the gateway to life. It is the cervix that lets our menstrual blood out and allows semen in. The deepest of orgasms. And the deeper you go, well arguably, the deeper the connection to your heart, body and mind. The deeper you go, the more relaxed you need to be. The more release is needed. If there's one thing my research and experience so far has taught me, it is that if I'm holding on, then I won't get there. I won't orgasm. Holding on for me can mean all manner of things. Focusing on the goal of climaxing instead of seeing pleasure as the goal. Holding on to an argument or perceived injustice with H. Holding on to a fear, worry or concern of any kind, in fact. And then this holding on to all I have known sex to be up until this point. This is unfortunate, because H and I aren't getting on so well and our cervical orgasm date is tonight. Ours is a complicated relationship, aren't they all? Like us all, we have experienced a lot in our ten years together, but we seem to be in a really good place right now, like we've come up for air from life's bountiful learning. We are both counting our blessings daily. However, once in a while, an old wound will open anew. Like the majority of us, we have hurt each other, and ourselves, a lot. We're in the process of learning new behaviours and creating a calmer, gentler dynamic. We're not doing it with anyone's help, although, as you can imagine, I'd love to go to couples therapy, and we haven't explicitly spoken about it. We simply know that we can do better, that we are better than what has been. Twelve is definitely part of the process. It is re-energising. It is providing adventure and exploration at home, a domain that was in danger of being the, quote, just chilling, don't need to bother place, as Esther Perel, an amazing psychotherapist, refers to it when she talks about life-work balance. My mother has always said, you can't get lazy in relationships, you have to work at them, just like you do a friendship or a job. But unlike in a job, you don't get constant feedback and financial rewards. You get the messiness that is another crazy human being. And, Esther explains, in the West, we turn to our partners for so much of our lives. Whereas historically, we would have lived in communities, spending time with people of different ages, with different life experiences, as well as having spiritual and or religious leaders to turn to, So few of us have religion or strong communities. My hope is that this will change now. I think 12 is also a source of healing. I love expressing myself through words. Hence this podcast. H, on the other hand, expresses himself through his actions. Whether it be songwriting, making films, cooking a meal or taxing the car, he leaves me clues as to where he is at by what he is spending his time on. So when we get together to make love, it is a powerful form of communication, an expressive dance of what we feel for each other. It seems to be bridging a gap that I didn't know how to bridge using words alone. We are reconnecting, and in doing so, forgiving and forgetting. At the moment, it feels amazing. I've seen the cervical orgasm referred to as the queen of orgasms. Some women's accounts talk about their very essence expanding beyond their bodies. What happened for me? By the time we got the kids to bed, it was late, but we had both committed to our nighttime adventure and considering the argument earlier in the day, neither of us wanted to let the other down. So we jumped into bed. Actually, we weren't jumping at all. We were quite obviously going through the motions, all so painfully conventional. Anyway, I explained that we were going to take a four-step approach to the cervical orgasm. Sexy of me, I know. Step 1. Flooding. Step 2. Stroking. Step 3. Arousing. And step 4. Sex with lubrication. It was a good plan. One that I pulled together using ideas and tips from multiple sources. And one that paid off. Flooding is something that Tony Robbins talks about in the context of relationships. Tony Robbins is an American life coach and self-help author. Flooding is when you retell the story of a happy moment in your relationship. H and I both recounted two memories of when we were together that made us really happy. This exercise was powerful for me because it reminded me of our history together and of that first explosion of love between us, which I found so intoxicating. It opened up my heart. I literally felt the energy and strength of my love for H in my body. Also, and equally as powerful, was H's reaction. He visibly relaxed and became quite emotional. Still waters run deep. According to a study by psychiatrist Kathleen Light, Stroking a woman for only 10 minutes produces oxytocin, the chemical which encourages affection and trust. I was going to need to feel a lot of both to relax enough to attempt a cervical orgasm. So H and I spent a good amount of time just stroking one another. It started innocently enough and was incredibly relaxing. And inevitably, it moved us seamlessly onto the foreplay. No palm-licking this time, but instead a great deal of focus on my body and my pleasure. Unlike before, having learnt from the U spot I didn't worry about receiving the attention. It helped that I could tell H was delighted that I was having such a good time, my pleasure stoking his. We stayed in this stage for longer than usual, both conscious of not hurrying to the goal and staying present, enjoying and focusing on the other person's pleasure. If there's one thing I've learnt, it is that focusing on the other person's pleasure is a good way to override any noisy, destructive thoughts that might otherwise derail the proceedings. Whenever I find my mind wondering to what I need or what might be nice to have happen next, I refocus to H and what he needs. To a lot of you, this will sound like basic stuff. All I can say is that I have built up very bad habits over the years and I'm delighted to be getting back on track. As I have shared before, we listen to music when we make love. This time we opted for the radio. Bad decision. I was feeling so turned on, totally in the zone, but suddenly found myself actively listening to the interview of the musician who was performing a live session. I saw red. To me, the DJ seemed so bored He sounded like he was talking to his drunk uncle after six pints in a Wetherspoons. In my mind, this man was giving pathetic, uninspiring answers to the most unoriginal questions I had ever heard. Please make him stop. As H leant over to change the frequency, the vitriol that poured from me towards these poor guys was quite something. Easy, H countered, laughing. It's not that bad. I absolutely love the tantric belief that men's role in lovemaking is to hold and support the wildness of women. It speaks clearly to me. And in that moment, when I felt so rudely interrupted, I was wild. Woe betide anyone who gets in the way of a woman and her pleasure. Back on track and I reached for the lube. I don't like that word, lube. Stage four and it's confession time again. H and I haven't used lube before. I've used it years ago with a previous boyfriend, but it's not something H and I have ever done together. I took the advice of various magazine articles and went for a silicone-based one. It's supposed to be less messy and last longer. And for those of you using condoms, it is safe with both male and female ones. It cost me a tenner and I bought it in Boots, who also deliver. I went for Durex because I follow Alex Fox and her fabulous hair, and at the point of writing, she was promoting their products. There are such a lot of lubes on the market. You could have tons of fun trying out all sorts of options. H was delighted, again. I think it's safe to say that we had a great time trying to find the cervix. The lubricant and the previous stages meant that the depth we were going for felt really good. Initially, we got sidetracked in a position that wasn't quite hitting the spot because we were having too much fun. It's hard to stay focused. We had to switch because H was close to leaving the party. So following the advice of some very chilled out videos on the Joe Divine website, see show notes, we tried doggy style. I had explained to H before that he would have to let me set the pace and movement in this position. Am I the only one who has a love-hate relationship with doggy style? Am I stating the obvious to say that it makes me feel subservient, which I don't always enjoy? I ended up pushing back onto H. He was kneeling and I was rocking back and forth with my legs on either side of his. It was a workout for my thighs. This meant that he was entirely inside me and I could create the motion. And that's what I did, following what felt good. It was slow, rhythmic and deep. I imagined my vagina opening up and focused on taking long, slow breaths. As advised by my research, I emptied my mind, adopting the approach I take when meditating. Hand on heart, it felt pretty functional and I didn't climax. I don't think the cervical orgasm is something you just walk into a bar and order. By which I mean, this is an orgasm that you have to apply some time and practice to achieve. Women who have experienced them describe writhing and laughing with joy, blank minds and their whole bodies pulsing with sensation, tingles and or waves running up and down their bodies from toes to the tips of their heads, tears, time disappearing, feelings of release and relief. One friend described it being similar to the floaty feeling you have after an amazing massage, but even better more fundamental somehow, with the effects lasting for days. The orgasm itself can go on for... wait for it... hours. Hours! So very different from the clitoral orgasm, which, like the penile orgasm, only lasts for seconds. The cervix is the reflexology point for the heart, so stimulating it can result in great feelings of love and, ultimately, spiritual transcendence. I feel like it is the content covered in the master's degree of a subject that I'm currently studying at GCSE. Points for trying and being curious. What a contrast to what we are presented with in the estimated 97 billion dollar global porn industry. Don't get me wrong, I enjoy a bit of pornography as much as the next person, just like I enjoy fish and chips, fizzy sweets or a donut once in a while. And I've found filmmakers who are creating pornography that really speaks to me, Erica Lust being the obvious example. She creates pornography that is relationship-based, fun, respectful and hugely sexy. You have to pay for her pornography. Perhaps that is where the line needs to be drawn. If you want it, pay for it. That way you know that there is a much higher chance that all parties involved are there of their own volition. A US non-religious charity called Fight the New Drug is raising awareness on pornography's harmful effects using science, facts and personal accounts. They posted an article called 20 Mind-Blowing Stats about the porn industry and its underage customers. The ones that stood out for me were... 64% of young people aged 13 to 24 actively seek out pornography weekly or more often. A study of 14 to 19-year-olds found that females who consumed pornographic videos were at a significantly greater likelihood of being victims of sexual harassment or sexual assault. A 2015 meta-analysis of 22 studies from seven countries found internationally the consumption of pornography was significantly associated with increases in verbal and physical aggression among males and females alike. 64% watching porn weekly. That's a lot, no? I understand that porn is theatre. I understand that. But is it me, or is there just one genre? It's like all cinemas only showing horror. There are subgenres in horror, psychological horror, gothic horror, and there are genres in porn, of course. But if your only influence is porn, it's like only seeing horror. Think of all the cinema you might love, but you aren't trying out. To me, watching it, it's soulless. Naomi Wolf writes about the link between pornography and vaginal illiteracy. She calls out the fact that pornography either, quote, mishandles or ignores the vagina. And I completely agree with her. She goes on to say, It diminishes individuality, imagination and pleasure. And then later, Porn puts people to sleep. Finally, According to Pornhub's 2018 Insights, one of the most popular searches used on their website for the last seven years has been teen. And what about the hentai, the Japanese term for cartoon erotica, which took the number two spot with explicitly underage characters? I'm now angry. It makes me think of Clarissa Pinkola Estes's quote from Women Who Run With The Wolves. Young girls are taught to not see and instead to make pretty all manner of grotesqueries, whether they are lovely or not. This early training to be nice causes women to override their intuitions. In that sense they are actually purposefully taught to submit to the predator. Imagine a wolf mother teaching her young to be nice in the face of an angry ferret or a wily diamondback rattler. To me, the porn industry, as it currently stands, is that deadly, poisonous diamondback rattler. So as you spend time in isolation, have a think about what you are looking at when it comes to pornography. Could now be a good opportunity to find porn that you are prepared to pay for? Swap the cost of your daily coffee for a porn that is raising the bar and seeing women as central to the performance rather than objects to be consumed in any way that men desire. Back to joyous sex, back to sex where men hold the full wildness of women in their arms and bring her pleasure. Back to 2,000 years to the Han Dynasty when men were celebrated for their ability to make a woman orgasm again and again and again. Well, I don't know that for sure, but I know men who could give women pleasure were respected. Back to honouring female sexual pleasure. Back to honouring women. Back to 12. Next episode, The Oral Orgasm. Follow and connect via Instagram at 12 for pleasure And don't forget, if you feel so inclined, spread the word. Thanks for listening.